Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. We're glad to have you. We're going to worship the Lord. You can stand with us. I'm going to pray. God, I just thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you for these wonderful people that you have gathered in this place. Lord, we're so grateful for this opportunity to pause from the demands of life, the craziness of life, and just focus on you to be here with our brethren and our sisters. God, we're so grateful. It's such an honor and a privilege to be able to gather here. So we just thank you. Lord, I just ask that you would meet us in this place, that your presence would fill this space, that you would fill our hearts in a fresh way. Just make us more aware. You're always here, but sometimes we forget. So I just ask God that you would open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you, and open our hearts that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. Let's do it this morning. him together. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break. His broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? He is roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before him. So open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. A God who comes to save is here to set the who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before. 
can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 No one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. sins of the world his blood breaks the chains every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb every knee will bow before him our god is the lion the lion of judah he's roaring with power and fighting our battles every knee will bow before the sins of the world his blood breaks the chains every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb every knee will bow before him that this morning he's fighting yeah. our battles that's so amazing i'm so sorry my it's not working i'm going to read this call to worship from psalm 105 psalm 105 verses 1 through 4 give praise to the lord proclaim his name Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Amen. That's what we're doing this morning. And that's what we're going to continue to do. Let's think about these words as we sing them. They're familiar, but don't let them just move past you. Think about what we're saying and let God move in your heart the truths that you need to hear this morning because they're good. They're old, but they're so good. Streams of mercy 
pour songs of loudest praise and teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mountain fixed upon it mount of thy redeeming Christians in this room, maybe you relate to this. I would think, I don't know if I relate to this. I don't know if I'm prone to wander. Like, I don't feel like I'm prone to wander. I love the Lord. Like, I'm serving God with my life. And I shared that in a small group that I was in. And some of my friends were like, you know, I just think about those words as sometimes we're so forgetful. And every time we are doing something in our lives and we're not acknowledging God's grace over us or we're just believing the lies of the devil for a minute or receiving shame or condemnation we're wandering away from the truth of God and we're wandering from his love so maybe we haven't 
like backslidden or sinned, but sometimes we just wander like little sheep that are like, oh, hey, butterfly. And Jesus is like, hey, come on over here and fold. You know what I mean? So let's think about that when we sing these words that even if we don't, maybe however we relate to those words, they're true in a sense that just human nature, we're easily distracted and we're prone to wander, but God is so gracious and he's a good shepherd and he's got a little hook on his staff and he hooks us and he brings us in and he, he brings us in with his grace and his love. And I just love that. And I love that it ends with, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. And to seal it for thy courts above that he's sealing us for his kingdom. He's marked us so that we, we bear a mark from the Lord and that it's visible to the people around us. And it, the more that he draws us in, the, the more, the longer we stay, the less we wander. So let's sing this together. And however you relate to those words, whatever that means to you, just sing it out to the Lord.
been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You've been so, so kind to me. Though the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love, oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, Till you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love
Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> Don't have to carry it all at once, sister. I know. Gotcha. <laughs> You're good. Well, this morning, um, I want to do something just a little bit different for our time of prayer. Um, I was on the receiving end of this one day last week when I was listening to a sermon. Um, and so I just kind of want to incorporate some of that into this time. Um, I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I want to set a scene for us as we go into a moment of prayer. As your eyes are closed and as you are doing your very best to focus on the Lord this morning, I want you to imagine the God of glory. We sang that line in that song. I just want you to imagine for a moment, focus on nothing else, but what does the God of glory what is that? What kind of image does that bring to your mind? Imagine for a moment, if you're needing some help, take your mind back to Moses and the burning bush. Maybe for a moment that can help you to have some kind of image of what the God of glory might feel like. If you were to encounter the presence of the God of glory. If you were to hear a voice of thunder, what might that be like? What images come to mind when you think about the God of creation, the God, the maker of the heavens and the earth? And as you approach his presence, I want you to imagine hearing the voice of thunder. What does the voice of thunder say? it's important as we approach the throne of God in corporate prayer it's important that it not be lost on us that we are approaching the God of glory the maker of heaven and earth who cares for us and as you have this image in mind of the greatness of God, as much as we can fathom, our minds cannot fully fathom the goodness and the greatness and the glory of God. But as much as our minds can fathom, as much as we try to put ourselves in that moment, imagining what it would be like to be in the presence of the God of glory and the voice of thunder, now I want you to shift for just a moment. And I want you to imagine... 
Maybe imagine that you're in some kind of peaceful meadow or field. And the image of Jesus that is in my mind this morning, the image is one of a loving Lord and Savior who stepped into our messy world to give us life, to lay down his life, to give us ours. And here he is, maybe in this meadow or this field, this place of peace and tranquility, and he's walking around. And he is so carefully caring for us, his sheep. For me, It's peaceful to imagine a shepherd that is just lovingly walking around the sheep pen, just watching his sheep, caring for them, lovingly guiding them. And I want you to imagine, maybe you are the one that's wandered. For whatever reason, I don't know, But I want you to just imagine for a moment that you are maybe off by yourself. You've wandered from the other sheep. You're you're in a space of, of just maybe isolation. I want you to imagine that the good shepherd Jesus, imagine him coming to find you because he notices that you're not there. He comes to find you, even though you think you might want to be alone and you don't want him to come and find you, he wants to come and find you and so he does. He comes to look for you and he finds you and you see him walking towards you. And he looks at you with nothing but love and deep admiration. Because he's just come upon that stubborn lost little sheep who felt like they were capable enough of wandering off on their own. I want you to just imagine that Jesus looks at you He doesn't just look at you, but he really sees you. And he sees you in a way that no one else could ever possibly see you. And he sees you in a way that you have been longing to be seen. What does he say to you? What does the good shepherd, the son of God almighty, the God of glory, the son of God who stepped into creation to make all things right, and yet makes time to come and find you, what does he say to you? 
friends, if you hear any kind of voice of shame or or a sense of heavy guilt, friends, that's not the voice of the good shepherd. The good shepherd reminds you that you are deeply loved and that there is nothing you could ever do and there's nothing that you've ever done that could change his love for you. And I think the good shepherd would remind us this morning that as much as we think we've got this all figured out, as much as we think We can make it on our own. We're doing fine. Everything's fine. The Good Shepherd wants to remind us this morning of our need for him. And I just imagine that he lovingly takes us and guides us back to the sheep pen where we can be in community with the other sheep. But first and foremost, our identity is found in him. And we know who we are in him. And then we can go back and we can be with the other sheep and we can flourish together knowing that the good shepherd loves us and cares for us and we need him. And we can't do this without him. So God, as we approach this moment of prayer in a very different way, God, I pray that we would be open to hearing your voice. And sometimes it is the voice of thunder. It's a reminder of the glory of God that we can never fully fathom. We stand in awe of you. But God, sometimes it's also good to be reminded of the voice of the good shepherd who will relentlessly pursue us. And for that, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful. Thank you, God, that you find a way to get our attention. Thank you, Lord, that as we remain open to you, you find new ways of of reaching us when we need to be reached. And I just pray this morning that we would rest in the peace of the Good Shepherd. I pray that each person here to their core feels seen and so very loved. God, we thank you for your love that does at times guide us and correct us. but it's a never-ending love. 
and we thank you for that this morning. We love you, Lord. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. We needed that. <laughs> I needed that. I hope that was helpful for you. I found it helpful for me this week as I um, just kind of had a moment where I realized that my time of prayer is often just rushed. And I just kind of throw the things out that I need to say or pray, and I just kind of move on. But um, I just was so grateful to be creatively brought back to the presence and goodness of God. And I am sure that I did not do that in such a uh, creative and, and kind of beautiful way that it was Shauna Songer Gaines who did it last week. And I, I she did it perfectly. She had it all planned out. I didn't. I just... This morning as I was worshiping, I thought, I want to bring us into a time of prayer, really imagining these things this morning. And so um, I just pray that that was helpful to you as we go throughout the rest of this morning. Well, if you would like to go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles or open up your Bible app to Luke chapter 13, that's where we're going to be this morning. And in just a moment, we'll read from Luke chapter 13, but uh, just a quick reminder that we are in week 10 of our series, our summer series soon. It's going to be a fall series uh, of the Gospel of Luke, looking at the Gospel of Luke. And I know I do not expect at all that you would be able to go back to the beginning and kind of think about each and every week up until now by any means. Even I probably couldn't do that this morning. But um, I do want to just remind you that as we have been going throughout the Gospel of Luke, not even stopping at every single passage that is in the Gospel of Luke, um, we have essentially seen two major themes Right? These are not the only themes we've seen in the book of Luke, but there are two major themes that we have seen thus far. And one of those themes is this theme of, we've said it uh, several times, this theme of the marginalized, the outcast, those who have been pushed to the outside of, of maybe the Jewish religious society, right? They have just been kept at arm's length for whatever reason. And we see that Jesus comes into these moments time and time again, over and over again, and he destroys these boundary lines that have been drawn in one way or another, and he invites those outsiders, those outcasts, those marginalized, he invites them in. And he does this again and again and again. This is a major theme we see in the book of Luke. It's one of the beauties of the gospel of Luke. And so by default, we see the second major theme throughout the gospel of Luke. We've stopped here and noticed this time and time again. that The ways in which Jesus does this and probably just the very fact that Jesus does this time and time again, it upsets the religious leaders. It upsets those who are experts in the law, because in their minds, this is not the way we do things. And who is this man? Who does he think he is? He just comes in and just does whatever he wants willy-nilly. Invite them all in. 
Who cares if they're drunkards or sinners or tax collectors? Okay, he's just going to invite them in anyways, right? And so we see that not only does Jesus continue to invite those outsiders, those marginalized in, but each time he does, someone is angry. Someone is upset. And what's happening here, these two major themes work together to show us that Jesus is continuously reminding people that the kingdom of God is breaking in here and now. And he's announcing the ways in which the kingdom of God is at work. And it upsets the religious leaders and and those in power, those who think they know everything. It upsets them. They are resistant to the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is doing. And so we've kind of spent a great deal of time unpacking these things as we've seen them throughout the Gospel of Luke. And so what I want you to imagine this morning as we read our passage in just a moment, imagine the group that's following Jesus, right? And this group is, I guess, slowly growing, right? More and more people are catching on and are curious. And so imagine that there's this group of people who are following Jesus, and among those, among the group, are those who are being welcomed, Among those are people who were never welcome before, and suddenly they are welcome. But also in this group are those who are confronted and challenged and rebuked, right? But then I would imagine that a lot of the people in this group who are following Jesus and really paying attention and noticing what's happening, a lot of them are maybe curious spectators, And I think as I read this week, I I learned or I was reminded that I think a lot of them find what Jesus does and what he says both compelling and like it's it's encouraging, it's so interesting and I like it, but at the same time, ooh, but it's so alarming. Look how angry everyone is. So it's, it's exciting, but ooh, everybody's so mad, so I don't know how to feel about it. I think that this particular passage gives us a glimpse of all of these people. Those who are welcomed in, those who are frustrated and challenged, and those who are just simply watching to see, what is this guy doing? Who is he and what's he doing? So let's, um, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning if you are able. As we read today's passage from Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up And praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? 
When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people, spectators if you will, were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord this morning, friends. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to kind of analyze and and study this passage a little further and just to kind of get a picture of what's happening here. So you have Jesus, and, and he is continuing to travel, and he's making his way toward Jerusalem. And it's, it's, very, it's customary for rabbis to, to stop in various synagogues and teach in those synagogues. This was a normal thing. And so as I was thinking about this particular story, I imagined, in my modern-day mind, I imagined that it would be like Jesus would come here to be a guest speaker, right? That's kind of what I imagine. I, I compare this to, okay, so he's, like a, he's not just a guest speaker, right? Like, it's Jesus, but in this, for the synagogue, for this particular congregation, if you will, this is like a guest speaker. He has come to teach, and it turns out that the guest speaker was really frustrating and disappointing because not only did he offend with, with, what, he, with what he said, but then he offends with, with what he did. And I imagine the response between what the synagogue leader stands up and says and then those who were offended or humiliated, I imagine that it was something along the lines of, listen, I don't know who you think you are or what you're doing, but that's not the way we do things around here. And then it's like he takes a moment, the synagogue leader, to turn back toward the people and say, listen, what should actually happen? And he goes on and says, you know, there are six days you can come to, for healing, but today is not that day. So he totally corrects everything that the guest speaker just messed up, right? So that's kind of what I imagine as I imagine this scene. But I want to come back to that in a moment, and I want to turn our attention to this woman. I want to turn our attention to this woman who Luke says is crippled. And I want to imagine her reality for just a moment. Luke says she's crippled, and we, we have this imagery of she's bent over. That Greek word that Luke uses, I'm going to totally butcher it, but the Greek word is suguptu, and it literally translates to bent over, bent double. She's doubled over. I'm not going to fully demonstrate that for you, but like I can't read it without physically moving forward. right? She's bending forward, and it's almost to bow down. Like That's the... That's the severity of her condition. And you might have noticed that that Luke describes that she was crippled by a spirit. And from what I have come to understand, that any time there was no reasonable explanation for a physical infirmity or for a situation such as this, that was kind of the next logical explanation was, well, this must be an evil spirit that is doing this to her because it wasn't really enough, I guess, for, well, we don't really know why this is happening. And so that was kind of the the thought during this time is, well, this must be the result of a spirit that has taken over her body. Regardless, for 18 years, imagine for just a moment, 18 long years, this woman is suguptu, completely bent over. And I just imagine 
what that means for her day in and day out. What's a day in the life of a crippled woman who is bent over, doubled over for 18 years? I have to imagine because, listen, I've been, I deal with like some very minor neck and back issues lately, and it's nothing compared to what I would imagine being completely doubled over, like what kind of pain, neck and back pain that would cause, right? So just the constant pain that she must be in. And then I imagine, I'm no doctor, but I imagine that this probably caused a whole host of other health issues because I would imagine that your body responding to being bent over. That's not normal. It's not how your body should be. And so I would imagine that there would be all kinds of other issues that would happen as a result of this condition. And I imagine that this woman, for 18 long years, I imagine how drained she must have felt every day as she went about her normal activities. How long must it have taken her to do just normal, everyday things? Like, for instance, to get up and to go to synagogue to worship with her faith community. Just that. Like, how drained must she have been from just all that physical pressure and that physical strain? I would imagine that not only did she experience the physical health issues, but I imagine that this would probably cause several mental issues. Like how frustrated must she have been? Can you imagine you're watching as much as you can being bent over all the other people being able to stand up straight and just do things normally and quickly and easily and here you are frustrated because that's not your reality? I would imagine that she must have felt vulnerable, maybe embarrassed. I would imagine that At times, this probably made her feel isolated and alone. And so Jesus sees her, and part of what I was doing this morning with that time of prayer is that Jesus doesn't just notice her. He doesn't just, like, maybe she walked in late, and so, like, he looks up and sees her. But Jesus really sees her and has compassion on her so much that he heals her on the spot. Right? Of course he does. We, don't, we expect this of Jesus at this point. Of course Jesus sees this woman, really truly sees her, has compassion on her, and immediately touches her and heals her. And in that moment, she is able to stand up straight immediately. So as hard as it might be to imagine just what reality might be like to be in this condition for 18 years, then imagine that in one single moment, you are able to stand up straight and normally. How weird must that have been? How weird would that be? And then how amazing would that be that in that moment, you are able to stand up straight? The Greek word that Luke uses there literally translates to say, it says to set up right to set straight again. And so there's this, we have this image in mind that she was strengthened. Her uprightness was restored, if you will. And we can't miss the detail. This is important. Not only was she immediately healed when Jesus saw her, but she immediately begins to praise God. Immediately. Notice how she doesn't run out of the building to celebrate her new freedom and mobility, 
right? That would be really easy and tempting to do. Like if I'm standing up straight for the first time in 18 years, like I want to run around and like go out and explore my, my mobility. But her first instinct is to immediately burst out in praise. And I, I truly imagine like this moment where she bursts out in praise and everyone else in the synagogue is looking at her like, really? That is so not appropriate. <laughs> like, what are you doing? That's what I imagine. There's tension set up by Luke in this moment to, to cause us to believe that this was disruptive. Not only did Jesus disrupt the norm by working and healing on the Sabbath, but now this woman is just praising God, like we're just doing things willy-nilly around here. She just burst out in praise. Amen. Reverend uh, Matt Jones, I love how he put it. By the way, I, um, I'm going to quote so many people today that it's going to seem like I didn't even write my own sermon. <laughs> but there was so much good stuff that I found this week that I, I had to include it, and I just... Wanted to be honest that it's not my original thought, so there it is. <laughs> but one of the amazing lines I read this week was from Reverend Matt Jones, and, and he just painted this picture. He said, this woman launches the community with her praise, okay? She launches the community back into their purpose for gathering and the reason she struggled to get here in the first place, to worship. What a thought, <laughs> right? Like he is underlining this theme that she's literally doing what she worked so hard to come here to do, to worship God, especially in response to this remarkable touch and healing. That's what this is all about, right? Apparently not, according to this passage, because what happens next is a lot of frustration and condemnation. Have you ever been there just for a moment? I don't know. I'm going to make this real personal for us today, and it might be uncomfortable, but just imagine for a moment. Have you ever been in a moment where God has done something so incredible for you, and in that moment, like, you just kind of burst out in a way, and suddenly you feel ashamed because here you are doing what you were created to do, bursting out in worship, Right? praising God when he has done something great in your life and suddenly you feel like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm really out of place. No one else is doing that. Okay, I'm going to conform again. You ever been there? Maybe in a, a group setting, maybe in Sunday morning, maybe on Sunday morning in this worship space. Maybe God is doing something wonderful in your heart and in your life and you just want to you know, burst out in praise and you just want to make your, your love and your, your adoration for God known, and yet you're also feeling like, ooh, but if I do that, everyone's going to look at me and see me and they're going to probably think I'm weird. Right? Have you ever been there? I have. And so it leads us back to the main issue that this seems like this is what it's all about. This, is, this should be very normal. I see no problem here. Right? I see no issue here, and yet the main issue that we see is that this particular synagogue leader is really angry at Jesus for doing what he just did. He healed on the Sabbath. And maybe some of you are wondering, like, what's the big deal? Like, why are they so angry? This seems a little excessive, extreme anger, right? Why are they so frustrated? Why is this such a big deal? 
And your mind might go back to Exodus 20 and you're imagining the Ten Commandments. Maybe you're wondering, like, what does that say exactly that they're so angry? And if you, if you were to turn, you would see that commandment number four simply says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You work for six days, but that day is reserved for worshiping and remembering God. You rest in the goodness and greatness and abundance of God. It doesn't say that exactly, but that's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then it kind of underlines in Exodus 20, like some things that you shouldn't do on that day. Some examples, if you will. Okay. And apparently this was taken very literally <laughs> to the extreme. And apparently what Jesus does is considered work. And it is a great work. Amen. It's a great work of God. It's a great demonstration of God's work, of God's kingdom, healing power at work. But the frustration and the anger that Jesus receives reminds me or tells me, teaches me that this is an example of a controversial passage, right? A command that wasn't always clearly defined for every single situation, for every action of modern day life. And so, so the synagogue leader is like, well, wait a minute, is that work? If it is, you shouldn't be doing it. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like there's controversy here because there is not an exhaustive list of don't do's on the Sabbath. And so it leaves people to question, well, what's considered work exactly? Oh, wait, was that work? Well, you shouldn't do that, right? And we all understand this. That's, we understand this, right? We, we have those same passages that we wrestle with, that we don't fully understand, those passages that were like, well, this doesn't really give an exhaustive list of what I should do and what I shouldn't do in this particular instance. And we understand that there are sometimes different ways of interpreting or understanding particular passages. This is not a new thing. We, we understand this. There were those who were, were angry and frustrated because this appeared to be work. And yet Jesus points out something that, again, I'm like, why do you even need to point that out? Jesus, I'm so frustrated for you. <laughs> but he, he points out, he goes on to point out a very important issue. How hypocritical are you people? You're the same people who this afternoon, when your ox or your donkey is, is thirsty and needs to eat, you're going to untie your ox or your donkey and you're going to lead them to be nourished and to be to get a drink, to be filled. How much more, does Jesus say, how much more worthy is a daughter of Abraham? Translation, your sister. She's one of you. She's your people. So it's okay to, you'll untie your ox or your donkey, but you won't even untie your own sister? Your dog's in your donkey, not bound. But your sister, she can stay bound. Oh, I must have missed something. <laughs> I guess I understand how that could have been perceived, but I was actually trying to illustrate a really beautiful point there. <laughs> your sister's not literally bound and tied up, but she is bound and tied up by this infirmity. So you're saying it's okay to go untie your ox and your donkey 
I'm going to have to go back and listen later because now I'm really insecure about what I said. <laughs> okay. That's really embarrassing. I'd like to know what stupid thing I said. <laughs> Donks and Anki. Oh, my goodness. That is so embarrassing. <laughs> no, I've heard worse. Right, Karen? We've heard so much worse. <laughs> Come talk to me later if you want to know what I've heard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyways, okay. Yes. So you'll untie your ox or your donkey. But your sister, you're going to leave her be. Something is wrong with that, Jesus says. Something is wrong with that picture. Something is terribly wrong. And so, so Jesus goes on to highlight something that I think the teachers seem to be completely forgetting or overlooking, and it's a very important detail. See, there's another place in the Old Testament. I don't know, some of you probably know this, but some of you just need to be reminded. There's actually another place. There's two places in the Old Testament where we read a list of Ten Commandments, okay? Deuteronomy 15 is, if you turn to Deuteronomy 15, there's another list of the Ten Commandments. They are listed again. And if you compare it to the first in Exodus 20, you'll notice that they're slightly different. It's the one in Deuteronomy is slightly edited, not too much. It's, it's hardly noticeable, but they are slightly different. But for commandment four, keep the Sabbath day holy, honor the Sabbath, no work on the Sabbath. What you will notice added in verse 15 is this. And what's important to understand is that what's being communicated here is added context and clarity for this new generation of Israelites, those who have been led out of out of slavery in Egypt. And so added to verse 15, commandment four is this line that says, remember, this is connected to the Sabbath day, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there, out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In case you're missing it, this is an incredible connection that we may not see an exhaustive list of all you cannot do on the Sabbath. But this theme of liberation is being underlined. This theme of remembering the God who frees, the God who liberates, the God who never stops or takes a break or rests, the God who continues to liberate and create and provide. And as hard as we try, we could never accomplish what only God can accomplish. And a Sabbath is a way to remind ourselves of this truth and simply sit and rest in the goodness, in the abundance, and the provision of God who never stops working. And I imagine that Jesus had to have had this somewhere in his mind when he is either correcting the leader, the expert in the law, or simply teaching him or reminding him this important truth. It's as New Testament professor Ira Brent Driggers says, he says, in Jesus' view, since the Sabbath law commemorates, it's connected to, it celebrates Israel's liberation, it ought to be a day for enacting, not inhibiting, the present-day liberation of the Israelites. You see that connection? Let that sink in for a moment. We're reminded that yes, this is a moment of remarkable healing. We celebrate with this woman as she receives 
this immediate healing touch from Jesus. This moment is a reminder of that remarkable healing. It is a a reminder of this appropriate demonstration of praise in response to the work of God. But it's also important that we know with this passage, when we're reading this passage, that it's not just another healing. I don't think Luke is just recording another healing just for the sake of recording another healing. Because remember, there's a lot of things that Jesus did that were not recorded in the Gospels. That's there, right? There are so many more things that could not be recorded, that are not recorded, that happened. So why this? This is an important reminder. It's not just another healing But this healing, as scholar Trimper Longman puts it, this healing demonstrates the dawning of the kingdom that transcends the dividing wall that the Jewish customs had come to represent. And what Jesus did for this woman, he wanted and willed to do for everyone. He wanted to free and liberate everyone. But the problem is only a few in the grand scheme of things were willing to receive such freedom and liberation. You see, the Sabbath laws were never meant to restrict God's activity, which never stops or rests. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, this is the perfect day for one to experience liberation and freedom. What better moment or day? God is always working to free and heal and liberate. Yet we're often preoccupied with other things that we miss what he is doing. And we know that there are some who did, who continued to miss. But as Luke reminds us, there are also those who are standing on the edges, and they're watching, and they're listening, and they are delighted, as Luke says, with the wonderful things Jesus was doing. And listen, I'm I'm almost done. I don't think it's a coincidence, friends. If you look at the next passage, if you have it open, just look at it, just glance at it. Look at the very next passage. I think it picks up in verse 18. I don't think it's a coincidence that the very next passage is one where Jesus begins to describe what the kingdom of God is like. Because that's what's happening in this moment. It is a remarkable healing, but it's not just another remarkable healing. The kingdom of God is breaking in and through in both extraordinary ways and in very seemingly ordinary ways. Because these moments, they may seem few and far between It might feel like the activity is sometimes big, but most of the times it seems really small and it's so easily missed like a mustard seed, right? But do not be mistaken. The kingdom work continues to unfold and it's happening all around and it's happening here in this ordinary moment of just showing up to worship. God longs to do something new and freeing and liberating right here, right now. But because some of us just showed up today because it's 1030 and that's what you do on Sundays when you're not busy, we miss it. And by the way, I am totally included in that because I got to be here regardless, okay? (laughs) I don't get to just wake up one Sunday morning and decide, I don't really feel like going to church today, (laughs) 
And so sometimes that's even worse because I have to phone it in a little bit harder, if I'm being honest. What Jesus did here in this moment, he wants to do for all. It's not just a physical liberation, although he does that too, but it's a spiritual liberation which continues to bring freedom and fullness in the spirit. You see, Jesus was not abolishing this command to honor the Sabbath. Remember back in the spring during the season of Lent, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and and Jesus was not abolishing the law. He wasn't throwing it out. He's helping them to understand this is what this law was created for. This is what this command was supposed to do all along, but you missed it. And now I have to teach you the heart of the message that was lost along the way. And I think Jesus was in a way clearing up something that probably many people struggled to understand because this probably would have been the cause of a lot of debate. And I think this is just a great opportunity for a practical reminder. If you want your practical part of the message today, it's this. Regarding those difficult passages to interpret, like when we're just not sure, when we argue with others about like what the actual interpretation is supposed to be, what's really happening here. I was just reminded this week that from what I see in Scripture, I am more and more convinced that Jesus does not settle for the interpretations of Scripture that are used to restrain, oppress, abuse, to bind, to enslave, to belittle. Jesus will not stand next to those interpretations. But instead, He will always support the interpretation which frees and liberates and restores and heals. And in case you're skeptical about that, I'm going to bring you back to Luke chapter 4, week 1. We acknowledge this when Jesus stepped into the first synagogue of many. Remember, he tells them, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this made people angry because what he was essentially saying is, all the things you didn't do, I will now do. I think this is my last quote. Scholar David Neal says, Jesus' compassion for human suffering, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, whatever it may be, it always trumps religious propriety. Compassion will trump propriety in his actions because he understands the pain of the human experience more than we ever could. So as we close this morning, I have a, I'm going to get the hard question out of the way, the uncomfortable question. And that is, are we, the people of God, and we could even really make this personal and just ask, are we, this particular faith community, are we ever guilty? Guilty is a strong word. Are we ever in danger of? interrupting the liberating, freeing, healing work that God wants to do because we're so fixated on understanding things in ways in which they've always been understood. 
or because we're so committed to doing things, well, that's because that's how they've always been done. We can't change that. You can't just change that. Even though it interrupts at times, keeps us from seeing the kingdom of God at hand. Another way of asking this question, oh, I wrestled with this, is our church culture, sometimes we got to put ourselves on the spot, guys. Is our church culture one that anticipates always the ways in which God is moving? Do we come here with the intention of fostering an atmosphere of openness to what God wants to do and to how God wants to move, being willing to respond in that moment to God's movement, even if it means we don't look like we're totally dead? I said it. How can we, like Jesus, be less focused on the most legalistic enforcing of behaviors? How can we be less focused on the rigidity of our worship because some might just look at us like we're crazy or immediately bursting out in praise? How can we be less like this and more focused on pointing people and celebrating their restoration and healing, and freedom, and liberation that's found in the Spirit. And so I just wonder this morning, who might be in our midst, maybe here or just in your life outside of here, who might you prayerfully and carefully notice and discern, like, who is it in your life that is living bent over, if you will? Not physically, maybe, but not necessarily. Can you think of someone who is living tied up? They're not freed. They're not restored. What kind of Sabbath rules and regulations, if you will, might be keeping us from seeing and noticing those around us who might be bound? I'm going to ask the praise team to come as we contemplate these things So a couple of questions, just to recap, we asked, how might we, like this synagogue, because we should always ask this question, this is a fair question, how might we be in danger of limiting the work that God wants to do? How might we be resisting that, and how might we be keeping people from feeling like they can express and burst out in praise at what God is doing? And the second question we asked is, who in my life might I try to take notice? Like, who, who might I notice that's living just bound up, to, if you will, bent over, not living freely and fully restored? And then my third and final question this morning is that maybe there's someone here who feels like you're the one that feels more like this woman today. Maybe there's something that you're struggling with or wrestling with that makes you feel like this woman, frustrated, vulnerable, isolated, alone. I think that Jesus wants to meet you here today. 
And he wants to meet you with healing and restoration and freedom and liberation. The question is, will you receive it? Are you open to it? Will you resist it? And if you do receive it, will you give him the praise that is due him? What Jesus did for this woman, he wants to do for all. Will we be open to the liberating power of the Holy Spirit who wants to do a new thing? And as we sing the goodness of God here in just a moment, my prayer is that we will be reminded of the goodness of God and that we will be open to the goodness of God. And I pray that you will experience a fresh outpouring of his love and his healing touch this morning. Amen. Well, if you wanted a chance to put into action what Pastor Nicole described, here's your chance. If you would stand with us, by that I mean if you would like to burst out and praise the Lord, that's what we're going to do. And in case you were wondering, that's why I always turn the lights off so you can feel a little less weird in case you just feel like bursting out. Because that's okay. It's a safe place. I want to say judgment-free zone, but I can't really speak for all of you. So, you know, I'm not going to judge you. Obviously, I'm the one that's moving the most. So let's sing to the Lord this morning.
this morning for yet another challenging word and reminder that so often it is easy to miss what you are doing in our midst. God, for whatever reason, it is, it's easy for us to be so focused on tradition and the way things have always been done, which is a good thing a beautiful thing, but God, let us never be more fixated on anything other than the ways that you are moving and working and what it is you want to do in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And God, may you just continue to challenge us to show up and to offer our full worship. Whatever that looks like, God, that's different for everyone. But may we never be the cause of shame or guilt for someone bursting out in praise at any moment just because you are good and you've done something good for us. But may we celebrate and rejoice each and every time in big ways and ordinary ways someone is freed or liberated or restored or renewed through the Holy Spirit of God. And God, we long to see we long to see you to continue to do the, these things all around us. 
and we anticipate the continued work of your kingdom in this community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, just a few announcements before we leave this morning. Uh, One thing before I forget, I've been meaning to kind of mention this, but by the time I get up here, it's just lost in all the mess. Uh, But you may have noticed out in the front, there is a large container. And um, no, that's not our new baptistry, although that's what a lot of people think at first glance. Um, But that is a prototype of a garden bed that we are working on. Um, If you want to talk to Craig about that, I'm sure he'd be, if you haven't already, I'm sure a lot of you have taken it upon yourselves to ask about this. Uh, But just in case you were wondering and you were too afraid to ask, that's what that is. And we're just kind of continuing to um, work on those beds to see what the best option for us will be. And so um, there there you go. There's a little glimpse at that work that is moving. It's happening. (laughs) I know that it may have seemed like it was never going to happen, but it is happening. There's been a lot of behind the scenes, a lot of behind the scenes. Trust me, it's been happening, but now we're just starting to see the, the results of some of that hard work. So there's that information for you, um, and if you want to ask questions, feel free, okay? Just a reminder that um, we are continuing to participate in the giving opportunity that I shared with you several weeks ago uh, for a particular Afghan family that is resettling, relocating, Uh, to Canada. And just a friendly reminder, that's not something that our church is taking on on our own. Uh, We are partnering with a lot of other churches, organizations, just people in general. So that 110,000, that is not all on us. Although, you know, just in case you were thinking of giving generously because you thought it was all on us, then just pretend like you didn't hear otherwise. But, But just so you know, that's not just us. We are simply, we were invited to participate in just an amazing opportunity, and that's what we wanted to do. So uh, just a reminder, I'm going to keep that in front of you for for a few more weeks. Um, This week, the Lunch Bunch will be meeting on Wednesday at noon at Chevy's. And I think I say that every time, it's Chevy's, I know. I can't talk this morning, apparently. And then here's a friendly reminder that um, this week is the last week of August, and September is coming, and so that means Alabaster Month is coming, uh, one of the two Alabaster uh, months of the year for us, and so go ahead and get your spare change together if you haven't been doing that. Um, If you need a box, let us know. I'm sure we have some for you, and um, be prepared to bring that, and the box will be out in the foyer all throughout the month of September. You can bring that anytime. All right? And I'm just going to also put this out there. Uh, I shared this last with, last week with you. It was a little bit of a plea, a kind of a desperate plea, if you will, uh, that we need, we desperately need help in our nursery and with our toddlers. I will say we have one person that has committed to helping with the nursery permanently every single week. And so glory to God for that and huge thanks um, to that willing person. And so we do have people responding, but I I also just want to keep that in your minds for you to pray about, consider um, that we do really need some help in those areas if we're going to be able to accommodate young families who do want to visit BFCN, but can't because they have toddlers, right? So um, just continue to pray about that if nothing else. And with that, I will invite you to stand this morning as I offer you this benediction. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you rest in the truth that you are seen and loved by your Lord 
And I pray that you will leave this place walking in that truth and in that love. And may you leave and go out into the world and make sure that everyone around you knows that they are seen and that they are loved and that God wants to free them and touch them and heal them. And may we celebrate that work together. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great day.